everyone. Today I wanted to share with you a segment of the online course that I created, Foundations in Anatomy and Body Science for Yoga Teachers. Now this is a 10-hour online course and it's the first segment that I do in the 30-hour segment that goes into our 200-hour yoga teacher training. And I wanted to take this information and put it online because I feel like a lot of people struggle with the anatomy portion in their yoga training and it can be helpful to go back and watch it over and over and really absorb the terminology and get comfortable with all the information because that's how we start to build on that foundation and create a really solid understanding of our body and how it interacts with this practice of yoga. So I hope you find this segment to be helpful and I'll put a link in the description below if you want to check out the full course. Okay, we're going to start this section of talking about yoga and the body sciences. So as I mentioned in the last section, when we talk about this segment of teacher training, we always say it's the anatomy segment, but we just say that for um, the process of being concise. Um, and we're really talking about all of these different sciences that are coming together to make up this portion. And that's what we're going to talk about in a little bit more detail. But first, just reviewing exactly why we're spending all of this time and effort to learn something that can be a little bit dry in the beginning to understand the language of movement and to enter into this new profession of being a movement professional and understanding that to be a competent movement professional, we need to understand the body sciences. It creates the foundation for a lot of what we're going to be teaching. We want to understand what normal movement is and how sometimes yoga deviates from what would be considered normal movement. And we want to be able to be specific when we're talking about things. So saying lift your arms up is not specific. If I say shoulder flexion versus shoulder abduction, it's a lot more specific and that helps us in the process of doing research and having that common language between professionals so that we know exactly what we're talking about. There's no room for confusion. It also helps us to digest professional liter literature. So when we're uh, reading a journal article or something written by another movement professional and we're using that language, we will be able to understand what it means when they increased 10 degrees of shoulder flexion by doing this specific protocol. This becomes the foundation for being able to continue your education because 200 hours is just the beginning. There's so much more to learn. So you're coming out with this just basic foundation that you have to now build upon, but it also becomes the foundation for critical thinking because you're definitely not going to know everything. I don't know everything. Nobody does. So we have to be able to think critically when unusual circumstances come up, and that happens a lot. So we're working on those thinking skills. That's the most important thing that we can really learn in terms of what we're studying with the body is being able to think critically about what we should or shouldn't do. The way that you study this section really makes a big difference because so many people, if you're not really into anatomy, you don't have that like little nerdiness, um, they kind of dread this section. 
that there isn't going to be as much movement or we're going to be sitting there and memorizing all of these bland terms. And that, there is a little bit of that in there. You do have to just memorize certain things. But if you move around and you try to experience these things in your body, it's going to be a lot more fun and you're going to remember it better. I am a very kinesthetic learner, which means that I need to like move and feel it in order to remember it. I'm not good at just memorizing terms. They just don't stick in my brain. So as we go along, I'm going to share a lot of like the weird, silly memory devices that I tend to use that have worked for me for years with some of the things that are a little bit more difficult to remember. Feel free to look when we're doing things. Look at your body. Think, oh, okay, we're talking about this bone. We're talking about this muscle. This is what it feels like when I move it and I can palpate, which is the anatomical term for poking around. You can palpate the area and feel like, oh yeah, that, I feel that muscle contract when I do this particular movement. That's going to help you to understand what's happening in your body a lot better. Practice that on other people as well. Anyone who's willing, friends, family members, other people in the yoga training, practice looking and watching how their body moves, practice finding the landmarks, and practice palpating different areas. The more that you move, the more you're going to engage with the information. So that's a really important component to just connecting what we're learning in the anatomy section to what you're doing on your mat and the way that you sequence things as a yoga teacher. So here's what I was talking about with when we're studying these scientific aspects of yoga practice, it's not just anatomy. So science in general being this systematic study of the physical and natural world through observation and through experimenting to see what is or is not true. Biology, the human sciences, anatomy, physiology, kinesiology, biomechanics is a big push now. Um, when they updated the Yoga Alliance standards, biomechanics was one of the things that they wanted us to spend more time with, which is great. And then psychology. Those are all things that are going to add to these pieces of the curriculum. So now we're going to go a little bit more in depth with that. But the first thing that I just want to talk about is this divide between science and pseudoscience, because there's a lot of things in the yoga realm that from teacher to student for many years, and they are assumed to be fact, even though we have never tested them, we really might not even have a way to test them. And in the classical kind of guru teacher um, or guru student model, it was disrespectful to question your teacher. There was no um, probing or testing to see, well, maybe I don't agree with that. That just wasn't accepted. So a lot of things that get thrown around as fact in yoga are really more in the realm of pseudoscience. And I just want you to understand the difference because if you are stepping into the role of teacher and you're going to be passing on information to other people, you need to know what is scientific fact and what is kind of in the realm of pseudoscience. And I'm not saying that it's bad or it's wrong. You just need to know what kind of information you're passing on. There's a lot of stuff that falls into that realm of the subtle body, things that we can't see or touch. And I love talking about that stuff. I think it's such a, a great aspect of yoga. 
but we can't sit there and say that that is scientific fact because it's not. It hasn't been tested yet. Maybe one day we will have a way to test it. That would be fantastic. But the idea is that in science, we're always looking for things that can disprove something that we had a theory about. If there's information that proves it wrong, then we know it's wrong. In pseudoscience, you're only looking for things that confirm your point of view. You're ignoring the stuff that disagrees with it or proves it wrong. So just be aware of that split. The other difference is that science relies heavily on measurements and facts and objective measures. Pseudoscience is more from the realm of anecdotes and subjective information that people heard or may have experienced themselves, but it can't actually be tested. So there's a, a difference in there. The scientific method is the way that we determine if something is in the realm of science or in the realm of pseudoscience. If the scientific method cannot be applied to observe, create a hypothesis, perform an experiment, analyze the data, and then come to a conclusion, then we're leaving it in that realm of pseudoscience. So just keep that in mind when you're passing on information. And here's another way of distinguishing between those two different categories. Does it follow an evidence basis? Does it embrace criticism? Because that's something that yoga in the past has not been really super great at. Um, or is it hostile to criticism? A little bit of that going on sometimes. So thinking about that when you are digesting new information and feel free to embrace criticism when we're looking at different ways that we do things in yoga because that's going to be a catalyst for change and improvement. So now let's look a little bit closer at these body sciences now that we understand exactly what science is. Biology goes down to that cellular level. So it's the cell which is organized into a body tissue. The tissues are organized into organs and then the organs work together in a system of organs. That's the way that I like to organize this course by body systems or organ systems and talking about how they come together to form this fully functioning person and how yoga affects each of those different body systems. Anatomy is the language of naming the parts, knowing that this is my deltoid muscle or this is my bicep muscle. I know the name of the part and that's kind of the drier part of this is figuring out the names but if we don't know the names, then it's really hard to talk about the functions because then we can't be specific. So we learn the language, that way we can be specific, and there's this common ground so we're all on the same page. Once we know the names, then we get to go into what I find to be the more interesting part, which is the function. So physiology, think function. How does the organism change and adapt to the challenges and the stimulation that it is taking in. How does it adapt to an injury? Um, how does yoga need to be adapted when there's some sort of disease process going on where the function of the organism has changed? What is the physiological response to stress? What changes in the body when we are stressed versus when we are relaxed? How does progressive loading and a certain amount of strain actually change our bone structure and the strength of our muscles, or a lack of strain causes atrophy and weaker bones. Those are all in the realm of physiology.
So now kinesiology is the study of movement in the body. And in yoga, we are doing lots of movement in our asana practice. So we apply kinesiology to the yoga postures so that we can make a smarter practice. And the big hot button issue right now is injury prevention, making sure that we are making this as safe as possible so we build resilience in the body so that we are not susceptible to injury as has been the case in the past. So biomechanics is that new realm that we're talking about for yoga and a big name in this field is Jules Mitchell. She has this awesome book called Yoga Biomechanics but it's all about understanding force. Think like physics class which I have to admit was not my favorite class, but when we apply it to yoga, it's a little bit more interesting talking about forces with that. And then finally, psychology. So psychology is where we start to talk about the nervous system and how a person might respond differently to stimulus when they've been through trauma. Uh, we'll talk about the polyvagal theory. That's another upcoming area that Yoga Alliance wants us to talk about more. But what I like to highlight for this section is that Depression and anxiety are this growing epidemic, and the World Health Organization even said that stress is the epidemic of the 21st century. The stress-related illnesses are just booming, and I feel like yoga has such a vital role in teaching people stress management and coping strategies and nervous system regulation that we can really step into this role very effectively. With that being said, also keeping in mind scope of practice. So we always have to understand that we are yoga teachers, not healthcare professionals. And if there is a mental health condition that needs treatment, that's a scenario where we refer out to a professional. So always keep in mind your scope of practice and do not overstep those boundaries. Okay, so next we're going to talk about those 12 body systems or organ systems. Thank you.